morning, everybody. How are we doing? Well, it's a pleasure to be with you here in worship at Mercy Road Church. If I haven't met you, my name is Mike, one of the pastors here, and uh, we're in the middle of a sermon series called Lessons from Lockdown. If you are new, uh, these sermons are not written just by myself. Uh, they're written in kind of a community. Uh, I write with a friend of mine who I graduated from seminary, Fuller Seminary in California with, years, what feels like many years ago now. And uh, he pastors a church in Orange County, California, and we get together and work on those. And now Pastor Chad speaks into these messages as well. And of course, Ari and Carrie speak into them from time to time. And so we really believe that the Word of God is not uh, monopolized by one personality or one subject matter expert. We really try to uh, believe that uh, we is always smarter than me. And so today we're talking about um, generous rewards and uh, we've looked at different places in the letter that Paul wrote to the church in Philippi. We call it the book of Philippians in the New Testament, if you're new to church. Uh, and he's writing to primarily a group of combat veterans in the Roman army who are a church plant, and they have really done him a favor by keeping him alive. And Philippians is technically a thank you note, but today we're going to talk about how odd of a thank you note it truly is. If you'd like to turn in your smartphone or your Bible uh, to Philippians 4, 15 through 19, you're welcome to do that. I'm going to be reading from a little different translation called the NASB, New American Standard Bible, which is the most wooden translation, and it pulls out some things today. Uh, and uh, you're welcome to follow along or just listen if you'd like. The Apostle Paul writes this to his supportive church plant. He's in prison political prison on death row, and he has this to say, you yourselves know, Philippians, that at the first preaching of the gospel after I left Macedonia, no church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving but you alone. So he's saying, when the going got tough, you were the ones who kind of supported me, and I supported you. 16, for even in Thessalonica, you sent a gift more than once for my needs. Not that I seek the gift itself, but I seek for the profit which increases to your account. I'm going to read that again because it's kind of a funny thing to, to hear in English. Not that I seek the gift itself, but I seek for the profit which increases to your account. Verse 18, but I have received everything in full and have an abundance. I am supplied, amply supplied, having received from Epaphroditus what you have sent, a fragment, aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. And my God will supply all your needs according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. What I'd like us to, to start thinking out on the onset of this message is just to notice that for a thank you note, this is a pretty weird one. This is not how thank you notes typically went in the ancient world. You see, in the ancient world, they did not have a ton of extra material goods, by and large. You know, a lot of us live pretty large compared to the ancient world. I would say most of us do, really, if you, if you were to measure poverty scales and life expectancy and people who are uh, food insecure, etc. And so a gift was not really a gift. You know what I mean? Like, a gift was more of a transaction. Like, I'll give you a gift, but now you owe me. And so gratitude was kind of a funny thing. When someone came through, like the Philippians came through for Paul, he's in the ancient 
prison system and they, f they kind of forget to feed you in ancient prison. They expect your friends to figure it out. And, and he's starving and then they, it, they finally send a runner and he gets through a bunch of hostile training and they get there and now he can eat and he won't die of starvation. Paul is expected to respond with a certain type of gratitude. Now think about how you were raised in the family you grew up in when it came to gratitude. Raise your hand if you were like a high gratitude family. Like you better show that you're grateful. Like lots of thank yous. Really? You guys were all raised to be rude? No? Yeah, right? Yeah. Like, oh, thank you so much. I mean, some of you, it, it goes to such an extent that like I'll be out to eat with you and the server will come by and bring you like your ice water and you'll be like, thank you, a thousand a thousand thank yous. I appreciate you so very much. And you're like, it's okay, you know, because their job is to bring you the water, right? Why do we do that? We do that in our modern culture to say, you know, I acknowledge this is an inconvenience for you. You brought this to me and I appreciate it. I don't want to seem ungrateful. We're very similar to the ancient world in, in the sense that a thank you was highly transactional. And if you couldn't scratch their back back, if Paul couldn't technically repay the debt, then he was expected to be effusive in his praise, to write haiku poems and songs and just go all over the top, just kind of slobber over, oh man, have you guys heard about the Philippians? Their generosity exceeds all the churches I've planted. They're the best. Who's the best? The Philippians are the best. And yet, if you read through this interesting, short, little thank you note, he never says thank you. Not, not literally. And he doesn't go over the top with his praise. In fact, he offers some critical feedback. He said, sure appreciate, you know, our partnership. When I think of you, I thank God for you in my life. We've, we've spurred each other on to become more Christ-like. But now let me just spend a little time on how I think you could live in a deeper relationship with Christ, how you could go a little bit deeper. This is not how the ancient world said thank you. But you have to understand the Apostle Paul is coming from a different place. If you're taking notes, the first note is on gratitude, gratitude. And it's highly practical because we're going to have to show gratitude towards each other and other people in life. Gratitude is about exchanging grace, not making deals for Christ's followers. If, yeah, amen. If you are a follower of Christ, showing gratitude is about exchanging grace with one another. It's not about transactions. It's not about repaying them. It's not about repaying them one way or another. It's not about one-upping each other. Have you guys ever gotten into that? Sometimes you marry into a family, perhaps, and kind of like the both in-laws kind of one-up each other. Or... or you know, early on in a relationship, uh, romantic partners or spouses kind of one-up each other on gifts. For Paul, he, he is someone who used to live an extremely transactional life. He was a, a, a very law-oriented, rule-following Pharisee. And, and he totally got knocked off his physical and metaphorical horse. If you don't know what I mean, you can read the book of Acts. What a wonderful story a cold-hearted religious guy, his heart is melted in the presence of Jesus, and he starts to understand the heart of the gospel, and that is that God does not owe you anything. If anything, we owe God everything. 
But instead of him collecting the debt from us, he shows us grace. He says, I choose to love you even though you can't repay. I choose to give you lavish gifts even though you can't. The gifts you give me back, they're a lot closer to the gifts that like our little children give us. I mean, the intent is there. But, but I mean, I was drawing with my four-year-old the other day, and I mean, she did a really good job, and it's going to go in my office for a period of time. But if I make the case that the Walker Art Museum must put this on display, they're going to laugh me off, off my pulpit here. Gratitude is about exchanging grace for followers of Christ, not making deals. And this should be incredibly freeing for us. What if we began to have very strange thank you letters to one another? I mean, when was the last time you wrote a thank you letter for a gift or someone who made a difference in your life or, or someone who just came through at the right time? What if instead of saying, dear friend, thank you so much for the gift. It was wonderful. You mean a lot to me. I'm, I'm, I can't wait to repay you at, at the next given opportunity. Instead, we just said, I'm humbled by your gift, and I so receive it. For a lot of us, giving isn't hard, if we're honest. It's the receiving parts that the heart. Raise your hand if it's hard to receive, and I'm going to raise my hand, right? A few of you are like, nope, I've got the spiritual gift of receiving. <laughs> like, here's my address, send me gifts, right? I, I talked to a friend of mine who's a missionary, and, and he's kind of a miserable missionary because he doesn't have the spiritual gift of receiving. It's so hard for him to receive gifts. And in God's sense of humor, he's called to raise money as a missionary, and it's so hard for him to ask for it, and it's even harder for him to receive it. He's even been caught several times sending portions of it back, saying, like, we've been able to make do with less. And it's like, well, yeah, but, you know, you could give it to the starving children around you too, you know. So if you're the type of person that really struggles with receiving gifts, you might dial down this morning a little bit and say, could that have something to do with the way I relate to the God who created me and sustains me every given moment? I'm convinced that when I really get into a place where it's hard for me to receive something, it's because I'm falling into a, a place of self-sufficiency. Self-sufficiency is kind of a theological term but it, it really gets at the idea that we believe we run the show and, and we keep the show going. Think about it. That moment before you woke up this morning, maybe you heard a little bit of the storm last night. Just that moment, you know, right in between consciousness, like you're half asleep, you're half awake. Do you remember doing anything to pull yourself out of your slumber and into awareness? Do you remember doing anything to like put more credit on your account so that you'd have another day of a heart beating and lungs pumping, taking in air? I don't. I think I'm a God-fueled person. I think if he decided to stop allowing me to breathe or allowing my heart to pump, it'd be a very awkward end of the sermon. When you realize... When I realize that God sustains us in every moment of our lives, it becomes quite easier to receive good things from other people. Yes, both the ancient and modern people expected something from 
their gifts, and that's what made it hard to receive. What did they expect? They expected earthly rewards in one form of or another. And that leads us to our second point. In addition to gratitude, this text allows us to think deeply about sacrificial giving. Sacrificial giving. And let me say right away, sacrificial giving is uncommon without the promise of earthly rewards. Sacrificial giving is uncommon without the promise of earthly rewards. Some of you know the story of C.S. Lewis. He was an Oxford professor. He was an atheist. He was an intellectual class unto himself. And eventually, he became convinced that Jesus Christ is who Jesus Christ said he was. God in the flesh, showing up for us, living the life we can't live, the perfect life, dying the death that all collective sin deserves, and and delivering us us from death itself but he had so much to say after his conversion he did a deep dive on nearly every subject and one of the things that was odd about him is he started to accumulate large amounts of money because he was so popular he wrote all these books and people bought the books and his friends who he would go to the pub with and uh, they'd put their smoking jackets on they were called the inklings Uh, J.R.R. Tolkien if you like the Lord of the Rings was one of them Uh, Other brilliant professors, they would just spur each other on to think deeply about life and faith. They would all give Clive, that was his first name, C.S. Lewis. If your first name was Clive, you'd you'd go with the initials too. Um, They would give him a hard time because he had this ratty smoking jacket. And he had it for years, probably decades. And they're saying, you know, I know you're not an extravagant guy, but clearly you have some financial means. You might want to uh, replace your smoking jacket. And it was kind of a running joke that he wouldn't replace his smoking jacket. He writes this in Mere Christianity on the topic, and some uh, C.S. Lewis scholars think he wrote this little part on giving, sacrificial giving, in response to all the jeering he got about his smoking jacket. He has this to say, Charity, giving to the poor, is an essential part of Christian morality. I do not believe one can settle how much we ought to give I am afraid the only safe rule is to give more than we can spare. In other words, if our expenditure on comforts, luxuries, amusements, etc. is up to the standard common among those with the same income as our own, we are probably giving away too little. If our charities do not at all pinch or hamper us, I should say they are too small. There ought to be things we should like to do and cannot do because our charitable expenditures exclude them. There ought to be things we would like to do, but cannot do because our charitable charitable expenditures exclude them. Another way to think about that, to modernize the language, is this. If my giving to the needs of people who really are in need does not cut into any part of my ideal lifestyle, it may be generous, but it it's not sacrificial. People will often ask me in membership, how, what is the right percentage to give? Do we have to tithe? As a general rule, if you serve on the board at Mercy Road, we ask that you tithe just as kind of a litmus test of that you're kind of, you know, you're in. You, you, you're, you're, this is your church and you care about it enough to invest not only your time, but, but some of your, your treasure, so to speak. But, but if you really scour the New Testament, I'm convinced that this 10% rule is not a hard and fast rule. And why would that be the case? Well, for one, I think 
if we are believers in Jesus Christ, the, the claim is nothing less than this. The Holy Spirit lives in us. The Spirit of God directs us when we're paying attention. And so you may be called to give an exorbitant amount of money to a specific charity that is not Mercy Road at any given time. So far be it from us to demand a certain percentage in this specific work of God's kingdom. Two, there are people in the richest nation that's ever existed in human history, the United States of America, who if we give 10% of our income, it really doesn't pinch us in any way. It doesn't affect the car I'd like to drive ideally. It doesn't affect the home I'd like to live in ideally. It doesn't affect the trips I'd like to take ideally. It doesn't affect the clothes I'd like to wear ideally. It just doesn't. 10% just doesn't hurt. And so therefore it may be generous. It might actually be quite a bit of money, but it just isn't sacrificial. This is why Jesus points to a widow who has barely any sense left to her name and she puts the last little coin in this offering for the poor and he said, she is given more than the Bill Gates of his day because it cost her and she did it with a motive to help other people and to honor God. Paul is living in a countercultural way. He's living in an ancient world that's not so dissimilar to 2020 in the United States. Everything is transactional. You scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. I'll give to that project if you put my name on a plaque and you rename the dorm after me. If it's tax deductible, I'm in. My friends, Paul is saying... You just gave me a gift that I really needed, namely food that I would have starved to death most likely without. And instead of just going crazy about how generous they are, he's saying at the end, do you catch that part at the end? Don't worry, God will supply all your needs. Now, <laughs> the general theory would be if you have enough money to pull that together and, and, and fill in the gap for somebody, your mind doesn't go to the to the idea like that they need anything. So either we're left with the assumption that this really cost the Philippians something and said, I know you have given sacrificially and now this may put you in a vulnerable spot. And either Paul is saying, if that's the case, God's going to supply your needs. Some scholars more likely think it probably didn't completely cost them or crimp into their lifestyle. And he's saying by instruction throughout the letter, yeah, you, you're not short on money, but don't worry. God's going to meet your needs. Like that selfishness stuff you, you struggle with, like your raging temper, like, like you know, you're, you're, you're battling a, a spirit of judgmentalism towards other people. God's going to meet your needs. He's going to help you and gently correct you and direct you. He, he's going to protect you. But in our world, when we think of giving, gosh, and I fall into this too, we just think of transactionals. Where's the return on my investment? We're highly suspicious, right? Are you, is this money really going to be used in the right way, Paul? I, I would like a full accounting of, of your nutrient plan because I've invested here. And we tend to say, if you can't pay me back, literally, you might as well tell people how great and generous I am. And Paul is saying, no, we live in a new era of grace and not deals and not transactions. And it all comes from where? Well, it comes from Jesus, because Jesus looks at us and he sees everything we've ever done wrong, everything we've done right, but we've done with really the wrong motive, 
He sees the embarrassing parts we don't want anybody to know about. We don't even like to think about. And not just our individual ones, our collective sins. And he says, I'm going to pay the whole debt, and I'm not going to put strings on that. It's hard for us to imagine that the people we're most frustrated with and the people that in our flesh we have a hard time forgiving, God looks at them and says, yep, them too. If they want forgiveness, if they'll accept, if they'll receive the gift, they get the gift too. But what about that person, God? Yep. And it's as if Jesus looks at us and says, who are you to dictate who can receive the gift of my body and blood, of my sacrifice? I was watching the movie Glory last night. I think it's 1987. It's about the Civil War, the 54th Infantry, and it's about one of the first African-American battalions that... uh, if not the very first, to fight in combat in the Civil War. And it's because they wanted to. And it was because their very young uh, colonel, who was a son of an abolitionist, uh, a white guy, um, he was really promoted way <laughs> above his station. So he's a really young colonel, and he's leading these African-Americans, the 54th, into a decisive battle into the Civil War. And one battalion needed to go first and they knew that they would accept heavily casualties and and this african-american battalion agreed to go first and the officers were all white except for one uh sergeant major you see the rules was where you couldn't have an african-american officer you could you could lead these african-american troops but the officers have to be white but the white officers because they were all abolitionists and they were trying to completely eradicate slavery, said, technically, in the fine print, we can make a command sergeant major who's an African-American. And Morgan Freeman plays this role. And Denzel Washington plays kind of the unruly um, private first class who, who, who keeps kind of railing against everybody. He's just angry. And at one point in the movie, Denzel Washington, the night before this big battle, looks around at everybody as they're doing kind of a spiritual and they take time to like do speeches. Denzel Washington, one of the best uh, acting moments in his career, I think, and he's had many, just turns around with tears and he said, I've never had anybody, I've never had a family. He can barely get the words out because he's, a, he's been a slave his whole life and he's been ta- his family members have been taken from him. He said, I've never had a family and then he finally gets the word out you're my family. And it's this powerful ending to the movie. I'm sorry, it is a plot spoiler, but the Civil War was a long time ago, and it's been out since 87. I feel like I can go there. And, and this white colonel, this young guy, ends up dying and leading his men into battle, and Denzel Washington and Morgan Freeman end up dying, and they're putting them in this, this mass grave. And they're all together and it's almost like they're embracing in the end. And, and I just, man, the tears came to my eyes, probably because of the, the, the moment where we find our nation in right now, because we're like, it's just so hostile, and there's so much unrest. And it's like you can't even make a comment on the subject without you know, being canceled or worrying you offended somebody. But then you see this image, and, and, and maybe it's just because, you know, who doesn't like Denzel Washington, and who, do, who doesn't like these actors? Um, but you see them all together, and, and what was moving to me about this as I thought about the sermon I was going to preach tomorrow was they knew that they were going in and probably going to die. 
It's the most sacrificial thing you could do. There was nothing in it for them. They weren't doing it for the medals. And there's a point in the movie where Denzel Washington even says, what is, what's in it for me? And he's talking to this young white colonel, and the, he said, you get to go back to this big estate, and I have to, I'm still going to be hated by much of the country because of the color of my skin. And yet they all go together because there's really nothing in it for this young white colonel. He's just going to die. And there's nothing in it for Morgan Freeman's character because he, he says in the movie, I'd really like to get back and liberate my children and my wife on this plantation. So he's giving up everything. And then Denzel Washington, he's giving up his hate because he just wants to hate everybody and be mad at everybody. And then they're all together in this mass grave. And, and of course, the soundtrack slays you because they definitely got that thing right. And I thought to myself, what if in this cultural moment we took a lesson in our lockdown from the Apostle Paul and we reframed gratitude as just an exchange of grace and we reframed sacrificial giving and sacrificial love, not just a transaction thing that puts you in my debt, but we just started to embrace the one who taught us how to love sacrificially, Jesus Christ. Wouldn't that change this moment? I mean, if we became just walking, talking, sacrificial, loving, sacrificial, giving people who knew how to accept and receive love and gifts, that would change the world. I think more so than a, a bill proposed in Congress. So there's some lessons here on gratitude. There's some lessons on sacrificial giving and living. And then there's lastly some lessons on eternal rewards. This is fascinating as Tom and I and Chad were, were dialoguing on this. If you look at Philippians 4.17, it's fascinating. He says, not that I seek the gift itself, but I seek for the profit which increases to your account. A lot of your English translations gloss over that because uh, we don't know how to, what is he talking about? But that's the very wooden literal Greek. Not that I seek the gift itself. Really, you're not appreciative of staying alive and getting food? You were starving to death. What he's saying is, yeah, like there's value in that gift, but that wasn't the main thing. I don't live just to survive. I don't live for material things. He's essentially saying, I'm not diminishing the value of your gift. I was starving to death. Thank you for that. But I'm actually more excited about your account. What does he mean? The claim of the Christian faith is that there are two judgments. One judgment is, do you want to be with God for all of eternity, or do you want to be away from the presence of God? And the idea is that God became a human being, came down for us, lived a life we can't live, died the death we deserve because of sin, and rose to life and invites us to live with him for eternity. And you get to say yes if you're a receiver, if you're open to it, if you believe in exchange of grace, or you can stiff-arm that gift if you're more of a transactional person where you're saying, nope, I like to earn my way. No thanks, I don't like to be with a God who gives that generously. That's one judgment, and that's salvation. And if you've never accepted salvation, the thing that would make me more happy than winning a million dollars today would be that you would, you would just receive that. 
But there's another judgment, and we don't talk about this that much. And, and we did in a, a previous series called Imagine Heaven, but it's this idea, something like the Academy Awards or like, you know, the Olympic uh, stand where they like give people medals and things like that. Basically, we're honored in some mysterious way for the ways that we were faithful in this life as Christ followers. Paul seems to be more excited about the eternal rewards for his supporters than he is about getting the gift that they're giving him. He, in his economy, he's saying, because you came through at the last minute and you gave probably sacrificially and you didn't give to get glory or to get something in return, your righteousness is now tied with anything I've ever done righteously for the kingdom of God and the rewards, my heavenly 401k, whatever that means, and maybe it's just the capacity to make Jesus happier. I don't know what it is. Maybe it's responsibility in the life that never ends. At one point, Paul says, don't you guys know you're going to be ruling over angels? To which we're like, no, Paul, we don't know that. Like, what are you talking about? But he knows some things that we don't. He was in the presence of God in a ways, ways that we weren't. At least I haven't been. Paul throughout this letter, seems really excited about people who give and love and live in such a way where it does what Jesus told us to do. It stores up treasures not on earth but in heaven. Now, because this is mysterious and this whole topic is not an emo emotionally neutral topic, I want to end um, our time with just a five to eight minute conversation with uh, Pastor Chad. So, Chad, why don't you come on up here, and uh, we're just going to do a little interview style where we pick Pastor Chad's brain, because even though Chad has much better hair than I do, he's technically older. <laughs> Chad, um, it's been really fun. Uh, Chad and I really wrote most of this together, so uh, thank you for that, and uh, I would love it if you would just kind of make this real for us and just share... How has this idea of being motivated by earthly rewards played out in your life? Well, working with Mike and, and reading from Tom, it, it struck me this week. Y you know, my, my life was about this transactional giving. And, and I think that's fairly common, and especially in the American culture, is this idea that, you know, if, if I do this for you, what will come back to me? And that describes my life. Not that I wasn't generous in some ways, but, but most of my giving has been about transactional giving. And, and I don't think we have to apologize. I think that's, that's part of life is when you help each other, there's often a return, and, and that's not all evil or anything, but it really struck me this week that, that there's something bigger than that. And and uh, I'm still clearly a work in progress. Um, but, but the idea of, of not just giving to expect something back, but to give sacrificially and just be so excited about the actual giving itself because God's going to use it in some unique way. And, and, and I love that, and I think it's something that we can all aspire to. Cool. Now let's kind of transition with regard to the heavenly rewards. What, what are your thoughts on that? I mean, it's mysterious to me. Yeah. Um, do you have any, any ideas? How does that play out for you? Well, if you get to go back this week, verse 17, it just it kind of came alive for me this week. And Mike's done a great job, but, 
this idea. P Paul, I really think, is, is looking up and saying, I cannot wait to see what God is going to do because of your gift and your love for me and the kingdom. So, so I, I, I do believe that, that we get uncomfortable talking about heavenly rewards, but I think that's exactly what Paul is talking about here is, is that there's, there's a bigger picture of generosity and, and giving, and it's going to play out in heaven. And, and this isn't the only place we see this in Scripture. And so I, I think it's so cool that Paul's able to lift his eyes and say, yeah, thank you for meeting a need. But what I'm really, really excited about is what's going to happen in the heavenlies because of your generosity. That that's what excites me and motivates me the most. And I, I, I just, that came alive for me this week as we were studying is, is Paul's far more excited about what's to come as we give and support one another sacrificially. And, and I love that because it lifts our eyes to, to something bigger than just what's happening here on earth. Yeah, it kind of reminds me of this Oreo test that I've done with my kids. Some of you guys have heard of it. It really measures a child's ability to have delayed gratification. So you get your kids. I have three kids, and I get a pack of Oreos, and I say something like, you can have one Oreo now, or if you wait one hour, you can have three Oreos. And it messes their little minds up, right? Because they're like, oh, man. Because in invariably, one of them just cashes in right now and, t and takes that one Oreo. And, and, you know, it's just all over their face, and they're, like, rubbing it into their brother and sister. But, you know, then there's the other one that's like, well, three is a lot more than one. And an hour is a long time, but maybe I'll try. And, and, and I do this from time to time with our kid because our kids, we're trying to instill in them delayed gratification because so much of life is about the ability to just delay your gratification. But I kind of think, as we were talking about this message and preparing for it, that Paul has, has got such a glimpse of heaven that he's learned how to delay his gratification where it's like, I could give in such a way where I get all the Oreos right now. Or I could give in such a way where the Oreos come in heaven. And what those look like, I don't know. But heavenly Oreos are probably better than earthly yeah. Oreos. Hey, um, one of the things I like about you, Chad, many things, but your gifts, you really know how to come alongside somebody who might find a concept really difficult. You're a very pastoral person. Um, I think all of us, or at least most of us, have a little PTSD when it comes from church giving talks. Um, do you have any advice for anybody who finds just the idea of generosity and rewards and giving sacrificially really hard. Well, first, you're not alone. <laughs> uh, my, my giving so started that way. Um, I, I came to faith late, and some of you know that story, but the bottom line is when, when I first started coming to church and the offering time came in the service, I'd be lying to say I, I was suspicious. <laughs> And I'm, I'm not proud of this, uh, but you ought to know, uh, my first reaction was, will they really use this money better than I know how to use it? Because, you know, I just had that kind of ownership over my, my money and, and, and the things that, that I had, had garnered through hard work. And, and if you're in that place, I, I was so with you. <laughs> and I get it. That it it's fascinating to me, and, and I am still working, working to try to become sacrificially generous, but that there's a promise God does in, in the Old Testament. It's the book of Malachi. It, it's, 
it's such a fascinating thing. And if you get to go look at it, it's Malachi chapter 3, verse 10. It's one of the rare places where God says, test me on this. A and he's saying this to a people who aren't being very generous. <laughs> a and he's saying that there's a need in the storehouse to, to give and support the, the church and, and, and my kingdom. A and if you were to give a tithe, an offering, test me on this a and basically see if I don't blow the doors off. The barns. Sure. I, I'm going to fill them to overflowing if you will just learn to give sacrificially. A and, and that has been such a great reference point for me. And, and so I just want to encourage you, take a step. For, for me, this didn't happen overnight. And it's still happening. So, so just take a step and say, God, I, I'm going to give a little more faithfully than I did last week. I, I want to give a little more sacrificially. A and I'm I'm saying that a as I'm learning to do that, God is faithful, and, and he keeps his promises, and he will fill your storehouse and take care of you. That's awesome. Kind of like you're saying, God gives us enough one single Oreos to kind of keep us going so we've developed a larger perspective. Um, practically, just so you know, if you're visiting, we, this isn't just like, oh, no, we need a sermon on giving. Let's go. We're working through the book of Philippians. This just happened to be next. We're actually in a very good financial spot as a church, uh, thanks to your generosity, and, and we're doing better than a lot of churches are uh, in the pandemic. And we've even reached out to several to see if we can be of assistance to them because we don't want to see any church suffer or go under. Um, we also have committed to, as long as the coronavirus uh, is around and it's really hurting the economy, giving 10% of all the proceeds, all the the tithes and offerings to our mercy fund. And I always say to people who are really s skeptical of churches and preacher guys and any time they talk about giving, we really believe that God wants something for you and for us, not something from us. God doesn't need our money, but he wants us to grow into generous people who learn how to love and give and live sacrificially. So if giving to this ministry for whatever reason is a hang-up for you, we would even encourage you to go find another ministry to give to. You can still come here and use all, all of our um, resources. We, we love you. You can join our small groups. Um, every time I say that, our, whoever the treasure is gives me a bad look. But, but, but the, the point is, it's really not about building the, the name and the logo and the ego of Mercy Road. It's about the kingdom of God. And uh, another option for you, if you ever felt like you wanted to give and you're just in a tough spot because you, you, you struggle with skepticism, we have a pure mercy fund where every cent that you give to our pure mercy fund um, will be dumped right into that 10% that will go out to people who are suffering. And if you ever want to denote your check to pure mercy, um, that's another option for you as well. But Chad, would you just um, close this message in this time in prayer as we uh, transition into worship? I would love to. And for those of you who want worship, uh, want prayer personally, there'll be folks stationed over here that will love to pray for you. But please join me. Lord God, I, I just, I love Paul's heart in this message, in this writing. He, he was so excited uh, about the Philippians and, and the blessings that they would receive, not just in an earthly sense, but in a heavenly sense. Lord, when we feel stuck, would you help us lift our eyes? I, I, just, I, I just want to see and, and, and move into that place, Lord, where, where we see more fully.
what you are doing in and through us. So, so I pray that over all of us this morning. Continue to do a work in our hearts, Lord. Grow the roots of our faith. Let the love and hope of Jesus not only fill us, but spill out of us. And so thank you, Lord. We love you, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.